2: and welcome to episode 88 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. AppRiver, email and web
3: security experts. You can find out more about AppRiver at appriver.com.
2: PC Law from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Get your free 30-day trial at pclaw.com slash radio.
3: And Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. In our last podcast, we surveyed the world of social media tools beyond the big three of Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. In this episode, we check out a tool to help you automate your web experience and perhaps make your online life a little bit easier. What's on our agenda for this episode, Tom?
2: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're talking about web automation with a focus on one site in particular that's caught our attention. In our second segment, we are continuing our experiment with a new segment called Puzzled, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But... On to our first subject, and that is web automation. Four years now. I think I've been talking about this for more than 10 years now. Uh, we have You and I both have talked about RSS and, and how it can help uh, people with with web research by bringing news to you rather than you spending time on 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 researching it yourself. I think over time, there have been other tools that have taken advantage of similar automation technologies and with some results that might be a little bit friendlier, a little bit easier to use. Than RSS, uh, uh, I, I find that adoption of RSS is not always great. So maybe there are some tools today that uh, that, that make it easier for people to get information that they that they want to get. Dennis, what got you thinking about this topic?
3: Well, Tom, a couple things. One is that you've you've mentioned on the podcast before. I think in the parting shots, a, a service called I F T T T, which um, I've learned is really ift, which rhymes with lift, um, uh, cause it's always kind of hard to figure out how to pronounce it. And so, uh, taking a look at that. And then, uh, David Sparks and Katie Floyd in a recent Mac Power Users podcast looked into the whole notion of, of web automation and, uh, Yahoo pipes and a, a really nice section on, on ift, uh, uh, and then also just uh, listening to a, a mash this podcast with Lyndon Tibbetts, who's a founder of IFT, and, and it's got me really interested in this because it, uh, like you said, Tom, the there are there've been some things out there that you can do, and that, that I think we've done for a while. I mean, RSS in, in its way is an example. Um, there's some other scripting and other tools that you could use over the years. And what's kind of interesting about IFT is it it, it hides the the difficult and technical part. Of it, and kind of gives you an easy approach, which they think of. They talk in terms of channels uh, for something. As you said, uh, you can call it web automation. You can call it web programming, uh, event-driven uh, programming. Something I've also uh, heard it called. And uh, I sort of think of it, especially in the old school way, as when we used to have macros in 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 programs uh, that would you could type a couple of keystrokes, and then something would happen, you know, based on that macro. It's almost like taking that macro concept to the web. And so I I think there's some really uh, interesting possibilities. And it also touches, Tom, on something that you know that I'm really interested in, is, which is the whole notion of APIs or uh, application programming interfaces, which allow uh, people to interact with with sites and uh, data and other information and sort of seamlessly and automatically behind the scenes so I think all of those things kind of came together but I, I think it's that's if in the idea of of doing this in a really simple functional way uh, that that can can I think make people's lives a little easier.
2: No, I agree with you, and and I what I'd like to do is actually go a little bit more. Get you know the good thing about ift, and and just for those of you who don't know why it's called ift, it it means if this. Then that, and we'll get into kind of how it works in just a second, but, uh, but, uh, it, uh, that's what IFT stands for, uh, really takes advantage of the fact that many sites have developed APIs. So I thought that for our, sort of our geek moment, we'd go into a little bit more detail, uh, on the technology behind an API. And, and, and I think you described it well. It, it's, it's a tool that allows two different software programs to communicate with each other. I think I think it serves a, a, a terrific purpose because I think it makes the actual software better by, by providing functionality from some other piece of software or some other app that the first one doesn't have. So to take an example, uh, both Twitter and Facebook have their own APIs, which means they can connect to each other. They can talk to each other. So for example, if you t- post something on Twitter, you can have it easily post on Facebook. Facebook, uh, and, and without you having to jump through that extra hoop of having to to post things in both places, um, you may have seen in the news recently that Twitter recently blocked its API with LinkedIn, which means that if you post something on Twitter, it's you used to could have it automatically post on LinkedIn. You can't do that anymore. They closed that loop, which I think is an interesting move on their part. But it, but it's an example of of, of APIs that that don't want to work together. My my favorite example has always been Foursquare. I know a lot. lot of people aren't fans of Foursquare. I know not a lot of lawyers use Foursquare. But I like the idea of checking into places. So I'm, I happen to be a fan for a long time, though. Foursquare was really just a silo unto itself. So if I was checking into places, uh, I could only really share that with the people that I followed on Foursquare. But, but once it opened up its API and, and, and got access to Facebook's API and other, other uh, apps, uh, application program in- interface, I think it connected immediately with both Facebook and Twitter. So now if I find myself, you know, at a movie or a restaurant or someplace that I want to tell other people about and share it with them, all I have to do is touch one button and I'm instantly posting that information to uh, to Facebook uh, or Twitter and the API is what makes it possible and and that long-winded sort of m- more explanation about API than you probably want to know um, is a way of saying that really IFT takes advantage of the APIs that all of these different uh, services use and 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 Finds new ways, I think, really interesting ways of connecting them together. Dennis, what um, what are you know some of the some of the approaches that you have seen looking at IFT uh, that that look interesting to you
3: well I, I I think that you're right if ifT is really kind of an interesting approach because in a way they become a general contractor for apis and so apis and and, and I think we're trying to make apis really simple there are technical aspects and, and and it's a way that you know different things interconnect and you know it's a way that you know you see maps appear on web pages and the interaction between programs there's a lot of lot of things that can happen and so if becomes interesting to me in the way that it it hides all that that programming that you might have to do if you're doing your own website and you know pulling information, say say maps or other things, stock prices, those sorts of things, out of through an API from some other service. So that's that's really interesting uh, to me and and um, but I think what. We want to talk a about was a little bit was sort of conceptually what brought us to ift and why why I think it can be really interesting to to lawyers and 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 I was just thinking in terms of the the macros tom you know that we're used to these these ideas, especially people go back a long way where you can use a simple you know set of keystrokes and a little you know subroutine type of program but a very small program that will allow you to say oh i." You know, I, I type in a couple of letters and you know my address appears, or I you know create a, a, the uh, the salutation to 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 a letter, and so that sort of simple approach where it just takes a little bit of a trigger and then something happens, and we're both we both uh, over the years looked at uh, Buzz Bergman's action words, which is a really sophisticated mm-hmm. yep. way of of doing those those uh, those macros, um, but also you know pretty simple interface so you can accomplish a lot simply uh, so you have that on one side I think you know RSS I think is another good example in a way because um, you have an RSS RSS feeds, uh, you know, come out of blogs, and then they're brought into a reader like Google Reader, and so then your experience becomes not that you go out and visit those blogs again, but those the content of those blogs appear in Google Reader through the you know through RSS, um, and then also I think we've we've seen some other things where people have tried to allow that pro- our our different services have allowed certain types of programmings where you can say oh what I would like to do is to uh, you know I there's a, a blog that there's a ton of postering today and a lot of them aren't really interesting to me but some are and I wish I could filter that and so sort of in the last few years I guess Tom Yahoo Pipes was one example of that where you there's sort of a way that graphically you can set up these little filtering things to pull the information you want and I know Tom I remember a couple years ago you did the Yahoo Pipes things in connection with Tech Show and I just uh, you know, it's fairly uh, straightforward, but I just remember how complex it was when you were trying to uh, change change what you're doing in those filters and, and to actually get it to work.
2: Well, I agree, and, and 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 I don't, I didn't think that there was a lot that was actually straightforward about it. That's why I think that you know, Yahoo Pipes was really fantastic in concept, and it was doing exactly what you wanted. I what we wanted to be able to do was uh, was create a pipe in Yahoo Pipes, and a, and a pipe is basically a, 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 a place where information flows through, and we wanted to have it for ABA Tech Show so that in, in one place you could get all the information on Tech Show, what Twitter was saying about it, what people on their blogs were saying about Tech Show, and it would all come in one place. And, uh, and at the time, I think that uh, I think that Yahoo Pipes was the best tool around, and I don't think that anymore. I think if can certainly do uh much of what Yahoo Pipes could do it, it it's it's not it, it does it in a much easier way it probably is not quite as involved as Yahoo Pipes is Yahoo Pipes is a very um sophisticated tool to use so it's it's got it's it's very uh powerful and you can do a lot of things with it but it's it requires some significant time learning how to use it and testing it and working with it and I'm, and I'm not sure I ever got it right so uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that a tool like Ift has come along to make it easier for uh, for people who don't want to learn to the technology to do it and I was wondering whether or not we maybe right now kind of explain we've been we've been mentioning If the whole time but we really haven't talked about what it does and what it can do so I wanted to spend maybe a couple of minutes explaining um, what what I've seen it do and what I what I think it can do and and how to how to get it how to get it done you know at at its most basic like we said, Ift makes web tools talk to each other and de- deliver results to you. That's that's at its most basic. That's how it works. Um, it works with the big tools. It works with Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Evernote and Instapaper and YouTube. But it also works with Dropbox and Bitly and Craigslist and Gmail and Instagram and and I'm just getting started. There's over forty five services that it works with. Um, and, and and I think the first thing you want to do is to head over to the Ift site and activate all the channels you want to use. Uh, like like I mentioned, these are the channels, YouTube, LinkedIn, um, everything that you work with, activate them. And that allows you then to start creating what they call recipes. And recipes are ways to put those services together. And if you look, there's a, there's a browse function there and there's Probably more than two thousand recipes that users have created. That the Ift service itself has created. Um, it would take a while to go through all of those. So fortunately, uh, the Ift service has kind of made them available as to what's hot, what's new, what's popular. So you can see the best recipes float to the top. But let me give you some examples of, of what Ift can do for you. For uh, you know, for example, um, you know, right now, I would say that my use of Ift is fairly basic. I'm not using it as much as I. would like to. uh, But every time someone tags me with a picture on Facebook, the first thing I had thought in the past was, I really would like a copy of that picture. I want a a copy of it. Rather than email them and ask for a copy of the picture, every time somebody tags me in a photo, a copy of that picture is automatically downloaded into my Dropbox file. So I'm now automatically getting copies of any pictures that people have of me. You can also do the same thing with pictures that you upload yourself to Facebook. So everything you upload to Facebook... You can save a copy in a Dropbox file, or if you're an Instagram user, you can ask if to move pictures there into your Dropbox account. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Google Reader, and whenever I star an item in Google Reader, it automatically posts that item to Twitter or Facebook. So I no longer have to go and spend time in those apps posting interesting news or things that I want uh, want people to know about. Um, you know, in, in, from an administrative standpoint, you can use it to. Change your picture, your profile picture. Let's say you have a new picture, you want to change it on Facebook. You can set up a recipe that whenever you change your profile picture, it'll change it on Twitter and LinkedIn too, if that's what you want to do. So, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm scratching the surface with some of the things you can you can send items that you like to to Instapaper or to Google Reader or f- Gmail to or to Evernote. Um, you can get uh, an email of uh, Apple's free app of the week, uh, new books in Amazon's top 100 free books. Uh, I found it interesting now that the Mars Curiosity uh, Spaceship uh, or Explorer is is on Mars, um, you can actually get a photo. Every time it takes a photo, um, it'll download a copy of that photo to Dropbox through Twitter so that you've got copies of everything that the Mars Curiosity uh, uh, Explorer does. You know, someone created a, a recipe to email his wife uh, uh, an email at noon on their wedding anniversary every year. So it can work as a reminder service as well. And I think you're only limited by your imagination. Uh, it, I think it's really some interesting recipes that are out there, but I, I would, I think, recommend first that you go and, uh, and look at some of the tried and true ones so you can at least see what people are thinking about when they when they use the service. Dennis, what appeals to you uh, when you look at the recipes on the If site?
3: Well, I think the fact is, uh, what the big appeal to me is knowing what's hidden underneath there. So uh, you can do some of the stuff by hand, even some of the simple stuff, you know, like how I have certain, you know, Twitter updates uh, become my, you know, Facebook updates. Um, but you have to do that by hand, and there are a number of things like that. I think when you look at the recipes and you sort of survey what's going on there. So when I took a quick look um, before we recorded this, uh, I saw that, you can create ESPN channels. and some of the examples were Olympics things. So you could have something so you would get a text when so you know there was a a gold medal was won and a world record was set. And, and, you know, then obviously you could, you could get things for, for by country or by athlete or different things like that. And you start to say, well, this is great. I can get a text, uh, you know, for my f- favorite sports teams or something's happening. And, and I go to one place to do that. There are other tools that will do that. But, and, but the fact is, you know, if is now aggregating a lot of those things. And like you said, time, you look at the stuff that you, you use. And so I say, oh, if, if. By starring things in Google Reader, I can throw things to evernote or I can do other things, and I can sort of trigger these different things um that can be really helpful you're also there are uh some some really advanced things there where uh that are kind of cool where you can uh, when it's sunrise or sunset you can actually if you're hooked up in the right way and configured the right way you could have your lights turn on and off at home um there's reminders there's all sorts of things like that you know something based on google hashtags uh so it could be a way to to gather information about a topic and, and then you know put it at some place your example of the, the pictures that you're in um is is an, is i think a, another great thing so it's it's, it's really just a fertile uh, field to explore. And just by taking a look in there, you'd say, wow, here's some stuff I always wished I would have been able to do. And it's really simple. I don't have to go learn an API. I don't have to go uh, you know, through a whole set of instructions to try to hook something up and see if it's going to work or not, or whether I you know, typed in one letter lo- wrong that should have been capitalized. You know, Here are these recipes and these channels. And as you said, there's, there's tons of recipes people have already created that you can leverage off of.
1: No
2: I agree and, 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 and this is where when we talk about if this, then that, uh, that's really what creating a recipe is all about. You're basically being asked that simple question if this happens, then that should happen. So and, and then you get to define what it is that you want to happen and that's that's where the name for the site comes from. So you know my recommendations uh, for, for, for using the site are really to get to know it first. Sign up for an account, uh, then connect, the channels that, uh, that that you have access to the, the the ones you use the most, the ones that you're interested in trying out. And then click the Browse button. Um, start looking at some of the recipes that already exist, uh, you know, to get an idea of what's possible. I, I I tried a few out at first by subscribing to them. I, I unsubscribed to ones that didn't make sense to me, and I have, I have kept quite a few of them. And then I think once you're ready, once you've tested them out, click the Create button. I think you'll find that creating a recipe is pretty easy and pretty straightforward. The instructions to create each one of the recipes i think um are pretty easy to follow uh without having knowledge of apis it does it all behind the scenes for you so you uh you don't have to worry about it i i I just think it's a great tool to to automate doing certain things in your online life and uh, i i think it's 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 definitely worth investigating dennis any further tips to take us out of this segment
3: no, I, I agree with you. It's it just this really an attractive way to say, here's a way to take advantage of programming without needing to learn to program and to, you know, to obtain some benefits on the web to accomplish some things that that you, I, I think there are a number of things that we wish that we could do. Like, you know, is there an easy way to throw stuff from Google Reader into Evernote? Well, with if there is. And so looking into that, and I think it's pretty straightforward to figure out. I also recommend that Mac Powers Users Podcast because they they spend I don't know maybe forty minutes talking about, about ift, so uh, uh, you can get some good ideas and some specific instructions from from that podcast as well but I, I do think it's fairly straightforward to to do so um, I, I just think it's a great if there's one thing you're going to try between now and the end of the year a new technology, I think this might be the one to try
2: before we move on to our next segment let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors App River. PC Law by LexisNexis and Clio.
0: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of CLIO. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing?
3: We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data.
0: We've been talking to Jack Newton president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
3: And if you'd like to get more information on Cleo, feel free to visit www.goclio.com.
1: That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com radio. That's PCLaw.com radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today.
0: Protect your firm's email with App River. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time and you get a 30-day free trial, all backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit appriver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866 223 Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781 551 9960. At 781 551 9960 or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now.
2: And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile
3: and I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, which we call Puzzled, we pick a tech topic that has puzzled us recently and see whether we can make some more sense of it for ourselves and for you. Tom and I were talking the other day about a very public personal data breach that got a lot of attention over the past week and wondering whether it pointed to some completely new security concerns to worry about or whether it was yet another reminder of how important it is to pay attention to the basic building blocks of security, including, uh, I think in this case, the role that backup has to play
2: in your overall security strategy. Tom, do you want to tell the basic story and give us your reaction? I'm going to try to do this quickly. Um, We're going to put a link in the show notes to everything that happened, but I want to try and get all the timeline out there. This involves a a writer with Wired Magazine named Matt Homan. Um, He... um, is, uh, I'll give you the, the, here. you'll see that none of these things, this security breach happened through what I would call pure hacking, but rather by social engineering, you know, taking advantage of our need for convenience that tr- trumping uh, certain security issues. So here's what the hacker did. They called Amazon first and they said they wanted to add a credit card to the account. You can do that. You can add a credit card to somebody's account. All that you need is the name of that account, email address, and the mailing address. They were all publicly available Available. They were he was able to get that information for for him on all, all of those places. Amazon has since changed these policies. So you can't do that any longer. Once some um, once they had added the credit card account, they called Amazon right back and said, we need to get into the account. And for that, all they needed to do was give a credit card number along with the same mailing address. So that then got them a new password to get into this writer's mailing uh, or Amazon account. Uh, That was, they had a password and access all they wanted with the Amazon account was to be able to see the last four digits of one of Matt's credit card numbers, because that number is a magic number to get into Apple. All you need is an Apple uh, is an email address, a mailing address, and the last four digits of a credit card to get past Apple's security. The hackers called up Apple, and even though they missed the answers to all three of the security questions, the failsafe, which is where convenience trumps security, was... Do you know the last four digits of the so- of the credit card used on this account? They did, and he was they were able to reset his his um password to his me.com email address and after that it was just sort of like dominoes were falling. They were able to get into his Google account. Um they were able to get into uh, uh other places and his iPhone soon was wiped, his iPad, his MacBook was wiped, and what's amazing to me is what they really wanted out of this. All they really wanted Was that? Was his Twitter handle? They thought that his Twitter handle, which was at Matt M A T, was cool. So they wanted access to that, to be able to spout homophobic and racist tweets that were out of that. You know, to get that, to get there though, they needed access to his Gmail account. And here was, in my opinion, where it all could have ended if the author had only done one thing, if he had turned on two factor authentication in Gmail. Because he didn't, the hacker was able to reset his Gmail account, change the password, and then access the Twitter account. So I think if two factor authentication had been turned on, it would have been much harder for the hacker to do all the stuff that he was able to do but so that's a, a quick way of dealing with it here's what puzzles me about all of this the first is this guy is a tech writer he is a tech writer who is writing about technology topics i don't expect a lot of people to know technology things but a tech writer i would i would hope would have a little bit more common sense the first thing is he didn't have google's two-factor authentication turned on. Now, I'm not going to ding him too much for this because I would imagine that a lot of you don't have that turned on either. It's not something that gets advertised very often, but I tell you, if you're using Gmail, I recommend you go turn it on right now. We'll put links to it in the show notes on how to do it. But you know the second thing that really puzzles me is that he had no form of backup whatsoever for his computer, so when that MacBook was being wiped with all the pictures of his one year old baby on it, um, that must have been heartbreaking. I understand he's getting the information back but but to not have any form of backup um, I think really really is unforgivable. You don't have to be a tech writer to understand the necessity of a good backup. I'm just floored that he had, that he wasn't backing up any of this stuff. I think that, that what's interesting is his article, we'll post a link to it, how Amazon and, and Apple security flaws led to my epic hacking. I think that's a wrong title. I think his ignorance about keeping himself secure led to the epic ha- hacking. The, the security flaws of Apple and Amazon, I think, just helped him along. So Dennis, what do you, what do you think? Are you equally puzzled? Well,
3: I am puzzled by uh, the, uh, in some ways, by the attention that, that this drew. Because um, I think my feeling was sort of like it was another good reminder to to pay attention to basic blocking and tackling, which is, which is easier said than done, clearly. And it is easy to go for a long time, uh, sort of relying on old password, old accounts, you know, that sort of thing. But I, for a long time, I felt that, you know, backing up is, is just the most important, uh, thing you can do in, in securing what you have. That it's, you know, in some ways, unfortunately, it may not be an if, but a when on security, you know, a security breach. It's hard to, to do all this stuff because there is that trade off, uh, of security versus convenience, as, as you said. And then the Steve Gibson, Leah Laporte podcast that we're going to mention where, where, uh, he, They just did a tremendous job of of analyzing this and explaining the details. You know some of the solutions. You know, having uh, creating completely separate uh, email accounts with different names for you know in connection with every service that you're part of. I mean, it's hard to keep track of passwords. It's hard to keep track of usernames. Now you're saying I got to use different email addresses. I you know we're we're only human. So I, I think it's you know if and if somebody is out to get you and really targets you, which is part of you know part of the learning here. There's probably not a lot you can do, and that social engineering. Uh, you know, st- still, is is probably the most successful way to to get information, and you know, I've always half jokingly said that. Probably the easiest way into a big law firm is is to look and see who a new partner has been added to the firm and then call up in a really, you know, exasperated, arrogant voice and, and say you don't have <laughs> passwords and, and, and browbeat the IT person to give you a password. And it's probably going to be way more successful than we, we'd like to believe. So I hate to be… Too critical of people, except as you, as you said, time. I just think that um, we need to start to think of backup as backup is not something separate from security, but um, as as part of, of the essential, uh, you know, security toolbox. And and so I, I think that's the big learning. I think you're right about two factor authentication. That's another thing. It, it just is. It can be a bit more of a hassle. It's a little bit hard to s- understand. So the idea is that you need you need two things: There's something that you know and something that you have. Have. And so the the key fob that generates the numbers is the classic example of two factor authentication. I think in the in the the Gmail approach, you can have your iPhone that's generating that that second factor and, and and, but they're also making it easy so you can identify certain machines as, as being okay where you don't need that second code. Um, so if somebody steals your, you know, your computer or your phone, they may be able to have, you know, get their way into that because you've, you've left programs open. So, I think there's, you can do as much as you can, but I, I think it's hard. So I think the backup thing is, is really the big learning from, from, from this one. Um, and also, Tom, I wanted to, I wanted to say that, uh, the, the writer's name was Matt Honan, and it's, oh, so it's not our friend, oh, Matt Homan. You're right.
2: It is. And I keep saying Homan, not Homan. Sorry, Matt. The, the Matt we know um you know i i I think that what's interesting about this story is that that it happened to a tech writer, so we are learning more about how folks like this uh get into people it, this sort of stuff may happen more often but it doesn't get publicized that often and, and so I don't know that there's anything just magical about this but it's nice to see um, what's in their mind and what's in their thoughts uh, you know, he, he says he he gave he's given an interview to to Matt Honan and said I am um, I didn't do any hacking I don't do any brute force I just uh, I just look up things on the internet I do my research and I find the information that I need and nine times out of ten it's there and so that's why I think that what we're really we were Talk, Dennis and I, were really talking about this beforehand. I, I think that that. That having enough security to keep out the lowest common denominator hacker is really the best you can hope for. There are, like you say, Dennis, there are special forces that can break down your door with very little effort if they want to get into your your system and, and find it. And, and I I think that 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 there has to be that that line drawn between convenience uh, and, and, and the hassle of, of keeping things totally secure. But I think that there's a minimum of security that will keep out the majority of the hackers. And, and that's where I think certainly having backup is certainly one of those minimum things that, uh, that people should have, among other things.
3: Agreed. Now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
2: I will only give a shout out because at the end of this week, I will be pleased to celebrate the 10th anniversary of my blog, Inter Alia. I started on August 18th, 2002. Um, the blog has not in past years been all I would want it to be. It has become sort of a home for my blog of the day, law-related blog of the day. But I still do enjoy working on it and keep promising myself that I will get back to my former prominence in, dry, in writing. Legal technology post there, but my real my real shout out is a, a feature that I've always enjoyed in Google that's getting a little bit better this week uh, I, I, I'm an Evernote user we've talked about that before and the Evernote plug for Google Chrome uh, allows you to also search your Evernote notes when you're just in your Google search engine so if I if I pull up a page in Google and I search for something it will also tell me if there are notes in Evernote that match my search terms well this past week, Google just came out and said that they're getting ready to enable the service where you can also search your Gmail at the same time as you search the internet. Don't worry, it won't be providing any information to, to anybody outside of, of, of your account, but it'll just look at your Gmail whenever you type in search terms and, uh, and it will bring back those results just in case you happen to mention something along those lines in an email somewhere uh, that you weren't thinking about. Uh, it's, it's only open to a certain number of people but we'll give a link if you want to sign up for the for the beta program, and uh, you can join in on the fun.
3: And what I have is is a a nice nice post from from Ron Friedman called "Resistance Is Futile" uh, from his strategic legal technology blog. And he just does a little mental exercise. I think is kind of fun for people to think about. We always think that that lawyers are totally resistant to technology and everything takes a long time and, and and there's a lot of truth in that but but Ron did an interesting post where he just went through a number of things that that lawyers really resisted at the beginning but now are just Part of the practice of law, and that includes, you know, email, voicemail, uh, to some extent, sto- social media, practice group management, uh, law firm websites. Uh, you know, you couldn't believe how much resistance there was, and now that's just obligatory. Uh, scanning and OCR, and, and it's it's a really interesting post, and and, and one of those things you might want to think about as as you start to say. Uh, you know are lawyers really as resistant as we think and how long does change really take and how much change has there been and and do we need to be as resistant to uh, to what's happened in the rest of business uh, and the rest of the world as as well
2: so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile report thanks for joining us on the podcast information on how to get in touch with us as well as links to all the topics we discussed today is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at TKMReport at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at TKMReport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis
3: Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. If you like this episode, then subscribe to this podcast on
1: iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies. Smart ways to work together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.